saved by grace, not by works, to be sure. But that grace will produce works, as we'll see next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Join us. Saved with a purpose. Hi there. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're continuing our series, God's Design for Life, here in the book of Ephesians. Please join us there as we take a look at the works that we've been saved to do. And then at the close of our program, we have a Truth For Today listener celebration coming up June 4th. And we'll tell you all about it, so you might want to have a calendar handy to save the date. But for now, let's catch up with Pastor Phil Howard for today's broadcast. For we are God's workmanship, chapter 2, verse 10. He said in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One is never saved on account of good works, but they've been saved in order that they may do good works. You're not saved because of them up here, but it's cause and effect. If you are saved, God has saved you and one of his great motives in saving you is to save you to do a set of good works that he planned before the foundation of the world. Now, doesn't that give you a plan and a purpose for living? To know that God's already figured out the stuff he wants to get done through nobody but you. Nobody but you. And uh, we're not saved because of good works, as 8 and 9 says, but unto them. A great statement that came out of the Reformation was this line. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. Faith works or it's not saving faith. If your faith doesn't produce good works in you, you've got the wrong kind of faith. It's the faith of demons and not the faith of salvation. Let me do a little review for you before we get into six things about good works you ought to know. Uh, but let me review. The human race in this book has been described as in Romans as ruined by our rebellion. And in Genesis 3, he says death, pain, the battle between the sexes, the man and the woman rivalry trying to dominate each other, the curse upon the serpent, pain and childbearing, the curse upon the ground, physical death, spiritual death, all came as a result of our rebellion. He said in Romans 5 that we're viewed to be in Adam, our federal head, and in Adam the race is seen as condemned, disobedient, and dying, dead, literally. It's the same picture he gave in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 that we were dead in sins and trespasses. So we were corpses. Let me give you the three things to, I, 
did a message on this. And I said, three things portrayed us in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. One, we were controlled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We were under their power, domination, and they controlled the agenda in our lives. By nature, children of wrath. Two, we were condemned as objects of wrath. Our future appointment was with God's penal judgment, guilt. Our crimes had to be paid, and we were under the wrath of God ultimately. That was the condition God found us in before we came to Christ. Enemies by nature, without God, without hope, all of those problems we had. God also found us, as he said, spiritual corpses so that he steps in and he does something in the work of salvation. He delivers us from the power of the devil, from the power of the flesh, from the power of the world. He cancels our condemnation. He gives us a righteous standing and cancels all penalty, all future punishment. It's over when you're in Christ. And then he said, I've given you life in order that we may get rid of the death. Now let us review what the redeemed have been given by grace just in chapter 2. Didn't want to repeat chapter 1, which is full of things. 11 we looked at. Look at what he's done for us in chapter 2. Verse 4, let's begin it. But because of his great love for us, God has loved us, has he not? What a surprise for enemies of God. By nature, rebels. By nature, energized by Satan. To do, you know what? You weren't demon-possessed, maybe. But you were as bad off as if you were. For you were under the control and dictates of Satan. And what does God do? He decides to love you and show you mercy. Two, he decided to give you life instead of death. He made us alive. This is called regeneration or a new birth, uh, the receiving of eternal life. He gave life to replace the death that we were born with, separation from God, at enmity with God. Then it says he did something else. And I love this. God raised us up with Christ. So we've been resurrected up and we're seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is such a beautiful thing to say that I'm already seated up there, raised up there. Same thing as Romans. We've been united with him to walk in newness of life. Having died with him, having been buried with him, having been raised with him, we walk in newness of life. So that Colossians can say, set your way of thinking on things above where your life is. You're really connected up there. I often think of the Christian life as those old um, kind of Flash Gordon diving bell kind of movies. You remember those guys getting in those suits and putting it on? I just used to have nightmares about that. Going to the bottom of the sea and there's the octopus bigger than anything in life. And you know, I'm just, I still see that. My mind has been forever shaped by Flash Gordon. <laughs> you kids, you don't know anything. Flash, that was the one. Man, I, I think of that. And, and I used to always say, how can that guy stay alive? Air hoses running up to the boat. And what God's done with you and I 
He's connected us to life above, and we're living off this air hose called the vine. And if you don't abide in this vine, you die. You can't bear any fruit. You can't even stay alive. And so we're a people, a heavenly people, making up little colonies of believers throughout the earth, but our air supply comes from the heavens way up there. Our life comes from above. We're, that's why we're weird. We weren't made by the culture. We weren't made to act like the culture. We're counterculture people. We've already landed into a fairer land. We hadn't seen anything down here that compares with what we've got coming. Don't get in love with this. You're going to leave it. Don't get in love with making bricks for Pharaoh. God's got a better land for you. And if you're in Christ, you're already seated. Your body just has to catch up. Well, uh, he made us, he says, uh, of course, the big term, he said he saved us by grace. Uh, and then in verse 10, he says, he's made you a new creation. This word, God's workmanship, means, uh, the word is poema, and we get our word poem, but the idea was a divine product. You are a divine product. You're something God made. The same word was used in the uh, Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for creation in Genesis 1. You are as much a new creation under the hand of God as the physical universe. You are a divine product of grace. You've been made into something brand new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation and he's dragging everything from the past. He's a new creation in Christ and what? Old things have passed away and new things have started. I always ask people when they say they got saved, what passed away and what started? Well, I, I used to be that and I still am that and I'm going to continue being that. Well, you haven't been saved. You just got a dose of religion. When you are a product of a regener work, regenerating work of God, when God makes something, you become a brand new creation, a product of omnipotent hands. And when he made you, he made you not to, to stare at like a piece of art. Isn't it beautiful? He made you to function. This is a product he made that's designed to function. Not to be admired. Oh, look at that Raphael painting. Look at that Monet. It's beautiful. What's its function? Just to stay there and be beautiful. What does it do? It just lets you look at it. And some of you, you fit the description. And you think, Christian life is, ain't I beautiful? Look at me. You weren't made for that. And you're not that good looking anyway. <laughs> Get over it. You are made functionally. I don't buy a shovel to look at it. I don't buy a car just to go out and look at it every day. I don't buy most things just to look at. They have a utility. 
They have a functional reason for the reason they were made. God said, I made you in salvation a new creation. And this new creation does good works, which God has prepared in advance that he wants to get done through you. What a marvelous promise and a significant purpose for living to accomplish the good works God has. God saved you for three reasons, at least in the Bible. John 3, 16, he saved you that you would not perish and that you would have eternal life. His love says, I'm negatively going to see you don't perish and I positively will give you new life. So to show his love is why he saved you. Two, he saved you that he may show you off and display you for eternity as a product of grace. Ephesians 2, 7, for all eternity, he's going to be showing us off to angels and onlookers, this is what grace accomplished. These people are products of my grace. Third reason is he saved you in verse 10 that you might do his good works. You weren't saved to continue to live for yourself. If you want to live the self-life, you, you, you don't understand why God saved you. You're, maybe you're mixed up. You don't know where to start. But there's something about God's child. When he saves you, you want to do the good works you were made to do. Now, before we look at six things about good works you ought to know, you need a definition of good works. Uh, a lot of folks do good things, but they're not good works. You can do a lot of good stuff that would never be called good works. In God's sight. Let's say you waxed your car yesterday. That's good. Do mine. <laughs> but you're never going to get rewarded for waxing your car. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to change the oil, maintain a car. It's a good thing to uh, write a check to United Way. That's fine. There's a lot of good things you can do that would never come under the category of good works. You, you get guys like this, well, I'm a family man. Well, good. Every normal person ought to be that has a family. Our culture is just totally abnormal, dysfunctional, disintegrating, and falling apart and going to hell in a basket. This culture is broken. It's not functioning like it did 60 years ago. Sin has ravished us. So things are so disjointed, dislocated, that if you just do something that's normal today. I heard a preacher one time saying, we preach a lot of ethics to Christians that he said, my unsaved pagan father didn't need to go to church to learn. Like, keep your word. Tell the truth. Show up on time. Pay your bills. Feed your kids. You shouldn't need the Bible to tell you to do that. Just a nice person ought to do that, right? And we're preaching, Woo, man, we got these Christian ethics. Well, you can be a pagan and do that. You don't need God to do that. You need God to do the good works. But you need a definition of the good works. And I thank Tony Evans. When I heard him at the Bass Convention Thursday night, uh, I just, I kept wrestling with this message and I never could get it tied down. And I heard Tony and he gave me exactly what I needed. He gave me this working definition of good works in his sermon. 
It's yours now free for not even going to baths. Here we go. Good works are those deeds done in obedience to the word for the benefit of others to the glory of God. Did you get it? You can't miss it if you're looking at the screen and you're, and you're filling out your notes, aren't you? Some of, I mean, some of you don't think you're going to make it to heaven if you miss one blank. You better get those blanks filled out. <laughs> and if you don't get it, I'm talking to you. We're giving you audio visual. We're having you write. Man, come on. You better get it. We're giving a test after the sermon. Now get that. Good works are things I do because they're divinely authorized to be done. The Bible tells me to do them. To be good to widows, orphans, to take care of poor people, to be good to your mother, your father, to be good to your children, to take care of widows in the church. On and on and on. Evangelism. Build up the saints. Encourage one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Supply their needs. On and on. We've got the Bible that tells us the stuff he wants us to do. Now, I do it because I'm operating under a divine mandate. That's my motive. And I do it for your benefit, not my benefit. That's the second thing. It's for the benefit of others, not you. Love never seeks its own, does it? Love does not seek to build up itself. It seeks to benefit others. And then the overriding driving goal is whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, I'm doing it for the glory of God, which means I'm doing it for his reputation to show off his benevolence, show off his love, his mercy. So I'm an ambassador, not of me, Mr. Good Boy, doing good deeds. I'm doing this as a representative of him. He's the one that instructed me to do the good for you. And I'm acting obedience to him. I don't seek a reward. I seek that you praise him. Now, you see all this philanthropy and all this human nice stuff? God's not in the equation. They're not doing it because they're obeying the word. They're just maybe got so much money or they might be just humanitarian. That's wonderful. But it's not the good works. Good works, three characteristics. I'm obeying a divine command from the word. I'm seeking to benefit others. And I'm doing it that my father might get the credit and the glory. Those are the good works God has prepared for you to do. Six things we should know about them. Number one, every believer has been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Every believer. Now, now we quote statistics that go, do you know this 20-80 principle? 20% give 80% of the money 20% do 80% of the serving. We do that. Say, yeah, 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 I've heard that. How in the world could we ever say that's normal? So that means 20% were saved. 20% have been created by God to good works. 80% weren't. 20% were commanded to give money to support the work of God. 80% signed up for a free trip. What's going on? I think the church is full of people that haven't been saved. That's one explanation. That might be the simplest. I wouldn't want to serve somebody I didn't know. 
And I wouldn't want to work for somebody I didn't love. So if I don't know God, and if I don't love God, and I just come down here because it helps my family, it helps my marriage, I feel a little good, my kids come here, or someone comes here, I feel better, kind of. But if you don't know God personally through Christ, and if you don't love God, there's no internal motivation to do the good works. You haven't been created yet. Now, the only other explanation is, maybe you don't know what to do, but how long have you known that? 25 years? So I love this ignorance. I'm getting off. And when I stand before the Lord, I say, I just didn't know. There's no Bibles. There's, I don't know you. They had no positions open. What's position got to do with it? You do this divinely authorized. You, you got a Bible? You do what the book says to do, not what our constitution says. Whatever he tells you to do. Well, I found this person by the roadside beat up and I said, call the rescue mission. What about you rescue? What about you get, well, I, I don't want to get dirty. You know, I'm raising a family. Well, pagan, so are a lot of pagans. What's different about you? Well, I, you know, they take those offerings. Church talks too much about money. We don't talk about it enough. It's the stingy that don't want to hear about it. They don't give it anyway. Never let the stingy determine whether you give. And they may be stingy unregenerates. You don't think this ark is full of all the right kind of animals, do you? Well, uh, Howard Hendricks made famous that line that the modern day church looks much like a professional football team, 15 tired men on the field being watched by 60,000 people that desperately need exercise. <laughs> and so what we keep doing is upping the expectation on staff, pastors. Oh, our, our pastors, we ought to be doing more evangelism. You're right, we should. And God must be burdening you to do it, right? Oh no, I think you should do it. Now it's not a battle of whether we should do it. The battle is who does it? Well, we ought to do this. But, uh, you know, I haven't found any place in the New Testament that a church ought to have a nursery. We have no Bible for some of the things we do. There is no Bible for having a nursery. I see no place in the Bible where we got any Bible for uh, us having a children's department. Everything I read in the New Testament, parents are supposed to raise their kids. Parents are supposed to evangelize their children. Parents are supposed to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Parents, I don't see any place in the Bible a church owes a youth group. Why do we even do this stuff? I mean, nursery, isn't that stupid? We're wasting, we're burning out people in nursery. Why do we even have nursery? We do it so women can be set free to hear the word of God and get equipped to serve and to discover what it can be to have an hour and a half of worship without having to be distracted by their children. Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that he has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, and as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. 
As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars, as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a -a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. And speaking of, for the last 20 years, Truth For Today has been here on this radio station. It's our way of saying thank you for being a part of that ministry for the last 20 years. We would invite you to save the date and join us. June 4th, that's a Saturday, 4.30 to 7.30 here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules at the Family Life Center. It's a celebration of God's goodness to the Truth For Today ministry since 1997. I mean, that's, that's almost 20 years, right? What an amazing time we've had growing in grace. And we trust you've been blessed by this time together. If so, again, mark it on your calendar and plan on joining us. June 4th, 4.30 to 7.30 for Valley Bible Church's Family Life Center celebration of God's goodness to the Truth For Today ministry. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. 